My name is Bond, James Bond. My instructions were implicit. I was to leave for Jamaica in two hours, licensed to kill. Now you may be miss it. You don't miss a thing. I decided to accept your invitation. I have to leave immediately. Just as things were getting interesting again. License to kill whom he pleases, where he pleases, when he pleases. From the elegant club rooms of Mayfair to exotic island night spots. Good evening. Who pays you? You. Tell us. A strange adventure of intrigue, treachery, and love. Hello? Oh, Mr. Bond. I was thinking, why don't you collect me at my apartment? It's lovely up here in the mountains. Her directions were easy to follow. And she sent a few of her friends to make sure I didn't get lost. She thought I was dead, but I proceeded to prove her wrong. I thought it was always polite to knock first. Before shooting. Hello everyone and welcome to The Bloody Pit again. And again we welcome... Mark Maddox. What are you up to, Mark? Just just doing stuff. Living living life, uh, doing artwork. Just doing stuff? And now I'm on this goddamn podcast with you. <laughs> You'll survive. You've survived many of them before. But I haven't enjoyed it. <sighs> no, well, you know, that's that's why people enjoy listening to you on the podcast, is your suffering is delicious. Suffer, Mark. Suffer. Suffer. That's what I'm here for. Exactly. <laughs> well, tonight uh, we we've decided that uh, we I think we were both uh, affected by the not completely unexpected but still unhappy passing of the uh, the great Sir Sean Connery. Yeah. And uh, I think we both have a lot of history with his work, with his uh, with his film work especially. For you. I know that it pr- primarily, well, for most people, I guess it primarily centers around his, uh, was it, at the, at the end of the day, was it uh, six or seven Bond films? I guess it would be six, right? Uh, it would be, no, be seven. It would be seven. The, out, outside of the Eon canon, uh, Never Say Never Again. Yeah. So uh, what we've decided to do is tonight we're going to talk about, uh, you know, without, you know, <laughs> too much too much detail work in the plot area, we're going to do a, a kind of giant discussion of the first two that were produced, Dr. No in 1962 and From Russia With Love in 1963. Uh, I have said for years 
that uh, From Russia with Love is my favorite of the Connery Bonds. I think it uh, I think it is a superb film, but I do actually think both Dr. No and From Russia with Love are top-notch screen adventures and um it's uh, it's been a real joy to go back and revisit these movies. Of course, you know I I've never been able to see either of these movies on the big screen, um, but I have been able to watch them obsessively over and over again in my youth, as I'm sure uh, most James Bond fans have. And uh, these days, I think I may have taken things a little bit further. Did you get a chance to listen to those uh, those uh, uh, commentary tracks I sent you that for these two films? I listened to them when they were originally out on the Criterion discs, but the answer to you sending them to me and me listening to them, no. You useless sack of crap. <laughs> well, listening to those commentary tracks, for those of you who are unaware... I wanted to. You're the information guy, by the way. I'm yeah. just the artist guy who's coming in and just sort of looking at stuff and going, what can I I just thought you'd be really interested in listening to them and trying to... I've got them. I, I pulled, I'm going to. Oh, well, no, I'm no, no, because to, uh, to, just to discern what it is that made the the the, uh, the Broccoli family and the uh, you know the producers of the original films, what made them like have a shit fit and <laughs> have them yanked it off the market. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, in the 90s, uh, the Criterion Collection uh, put out laser discs of the first, uh, I think, f- three or four. I can't remember. I, I think they only did the first three. Three. Uh, James Bond films. Yeah, uh, Doctor No from Rush with Love and Goldfinger. And they originally put together. They had uh, film historians. I can't remember the fellows' names. Put together commentary tracks for each of the films that involved uh, copious quotes from interviews with director Terrence Young, who made uh, both the films we'll be talking about tonight, editor and uh, later director of some of the Bond films, Peter Hunt, uh, who, who edited both, both pictures, and uh, Ken Adam, who was the uh, set, set designer, set builder, and uh, for, for, for both films, and matter of fact, I think for most of, the, uh, most of the Bond films, I don't think he stopped being the production designer until sometime in the 70s, I think. Ken Adam? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of when he actually stopped. Because um, one of his, um, I don't know what you call him, an assistant or whatever, kind of took over after that. Um, I'm trying to think of the last Ken Adam film. I cannot remember, but also they they have uh, some they have an interview that they use as well with Richard Maybaum, who was uh, the American, no. the American on the track, and the American who was part of the the Eon family as a screenwriter, who worked on a right. number of the Bond films as uh, and had actually gotten his start as a scriptwriter working for the Broccoli's uh, on earlier productions that they had done, and uh, was a was a trusted member of the team for years. And uh, so it's really fa- it was really fascinating to hear these commentary tracks. And of course, once you do hear them, if you can find them out there on the interwebs, it's very clear why the producers of these films might have wanted these things yanked, because um, these guys are being very blunt uh, in their opinions. They're uh-huh. being very forthright, uh, because at the point right. that these were recorded in the uh, the early '90s. Uh, these are guys who are at the you know in the latter portions of their life slash careers and are looking back on these things and they're you know they're not pulling any punches they're talking you know I, I, I would not call it talking out of school I would ta- I would call it being very forthright about uh, the challenges that were in front of them and the personalities involved and so there are some uh, 
well, there are very, some very non-politically correct things, but those are not the things that I think would have primarily gotten them in trouble. I think being very open and free and talking about, uh, you know, how much drinking they, they were doing at the time when they were having dinner after after hours and uh, some of the conversations that came about, you know, like when uh, Ian Fleming would show up on, on set uh, in Jamaica uh, with Noel Coward in, in, uh, as part of the entourage and just sitting around and, and drinking a, uh, shall we say, very long dinner and having uh, lots of conversations of that type where it, it uh, sh- shall we say, uh, the figurative hair got let down in a lot of these interviews and it's very easy to see why uh, they uh, wanted them yanked. But what's great is they do offer this amazing insight direct from the horses' mouths of these folks who were involved in making these, let's call them what they are, iconic films. Um, If you ever want to talk about a a couple of movies that set the template, and I think that as much as you might like to say that Dr. No being the first is the one that set the template, it really didn't. It was the combination of these first two coupled with the massive, massive success of the uh, the second and then the third Goldfinger that really did make this the phenomena that it became for the rest of the '60s and on into the present day. Well, was was from Russia with Love uh, a massive success? I know Goldfinger. I always thought Goldfinger was the colossal Star Wars like yes. success. Oh yes, it, yes, I it was. Uh, Doctor No was a a success. It 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 did well. And, no, I, I know it was. Just, I'm talking about like that crazy oh, sort yeah, when, of when from Russia with Love came out. It made way more money than Dr. No. Like, okay. like cool. uh, you know, a figure, you know, several factors higher than the first film. And so uh, that's why the budgets continued to escalate. The uh, they, There's a lot of conversation on these tracks about um, Ken Adams says at one point, you know, you know the scene in Dr. No where um, the, uh, the, the character, the geologist character, goes to, you know, panics and goes out to Crab Key and sits down to talk with uh, Dr. No. And Dr. Yeah. No never even comes in the room. That's that iconic scene with the, uh, the, the, the circular slanted shadow. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ken Adam is very upfront about the fact that when they got to that scene, he had, and he, he, he says a specific number, and I'm not sure if he's joking or if he remembers the specific number, but he said he had 470 some odd dollars left to spend. Wow, and so <laughs> he came up with that set uh, because it's beautiful, though. Oh yeah, and it's and it's and it's astonishing. And of course, he points out that the reason he designed it the way he did is that he wanted to make he wanted us to to feel as if as if this character were caught in a spider's web. Yeah, yeah and uh, a great scene. of course, and then capping it with him being told to take a tarantula and use that to uh, kill Bond. Um, right. So. They, talk, they 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 all very clear they all very clearly talk about the the, the budget restrictions and the time con, the time constraints that they had in uh, in filming that first movie and then how they actually had a good deal more money to make the second one yeah it was like the budget had doubled right yeah uh, yeah actually from what um, they said they actually may have had a bit more than double yeah and then what was just i know we're going to we're going to go into other james bond films later we're going to i think at this point we can tell the audience we're kind of talking about doing two at a time because your podcast runs longer a lot of podcasts might be an hour you do a movie in an hour we're going to do like two cuz we run our mouths as long as we want <laughs> 
but but um, what, what was just out of curiosity, knowing that Doctor No was a million from Russia with Love was probably a little over two million. What was Goldfinger's budget? The the rough numbers are two million for from Russia with Love and three million for Goldfinger. So they yeah. were upping the the budgets uh, each each time out, and um, that's that's not a shock because the movies start to get. You know, they start to look appreciably larger as they go along as well. They start to get into that super glitz. And there's, there's, you know, you and I have talked about this. A million people have talked about this before, that there's two types of James Bond movies. There's the spy films or the human, uh, human interest yeah. spy film. And then there's the super spectacular sit back. You paid your movie ticket. We're going to give you a great ride. We're going to give you the science fiction-y, almost megalomaniac, colossal sets. Everything's going to be just this giant entertainment package. And those are the two types. Uh, and I think that's why I, I have think- so much affection for these first two. Is um, And I don't... Here's a big question. I uh, mm-hmm. Have you ever read the, uh, the novels, the Fleming novels? I've read um, three of them. And... Um, it's it's almost like two things. I've always said this. I'm 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 the first person I know to ever say this. I said this years ago, and then I've heard it repeated since. So I kind of feel like I'm the dad of this thought. I wish somebody would take the novels. Actually, I know who I wish would do it. I wish that British Television, in tandem with uh, Masterpiece Theater, would do all the James Bond films. In the year that they take place, I mean the novels. Do the Bond novels? Do the Bond novels for Masterpiece Theater? In other words, do them. You don't. If if the movie's got none of the super glitz in it, leave it out. Just do it as they are. Do them in the year that they're supposed to take place, and do them as written. Probably, maybe helping a few of them that aren't as good as others, like maybe Diamonds Are Forever which I heard is, I haven't read it. I heard that's like one of the worst Bond novels. Well, that, that is one of the problems. When you get into the novels, there came a point past which it almost feels as if Fleming kind of lost interest, hmm. um, which is a shame to say, but um, yeah. that, that's not... Well, I mean, I, I thought others were better than others. I thought I heard that that one was bad, but the, oh, well, yeah, the yeah, that's just it. ones that are better. Some of them, some of them are, yeah, there's a, <laughs> believe me, <laughs> there is a point past which some of the some of the some of the novels. Um, How many have you read? Uh, back in the day, I read all of the Fleming originals, but that was when I was a teenager. So uh, what I'm what I'm going off of now are the ones that I've read as or I've reread as an adult, essentially. Right. Uh, you only live twice, uh, which was not the last of the novels; it was the second to last of the novels. I actually liked that one a lot. That was the first one I ever read. Yeah. That was- well, remember at the end of the book. That he the book ends with him with amnesia, yeah, and leaving. Uh, he's been living as a Japanese fisherman, and he decides to travel to Russia to find out about his past. And the next novel, the last one, was uh, the Man with the Golden Gun, where okay. Bond is, returns to London, uh, but he's been brainwashed by the Russians and, and assigned to kill M, uh, which, by the way, is not anything that they ever filmed. <laughs> no, they, I they, know that they never got anywhere near that. 
And um, yeah, they just went ahead. They the the movie. This is the thing. The movies diverge. You get a basic idea about a about a character. You know, basically where he is on that stuff. And then the movies go, look, we are going, this is a movie. This is a movie with a, a ton of money behind it. This is, this is a movie series that, that tries to be the biggest thing the year that it comes out. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, I love the movies. Not every single one of them, but I love a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, and overall, I say I love the James Bond series, but I love the books too. And it's like, but they're they're different. They're oh, they're, just they're, different. they're very they're very different. But I mean, the, the joys Bond, the right. joys of these first two movies is how close they are to the books. Yeah, they kind of they kind of played it. I don't want to say they played it safe because they 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 kind of were closer. And also, um, the first film reminds me more of Goldfinger by quite a bit than. Doctor, uh, then uh, from Russia with love. If let's pretend it was the reverse, let's pretend that the first film to come out was from Russia with love because that was the one that Kennedy made the big deal out of. Yeah, his top ten reading list for the year. If Doctor, if if Doctor No had come out second, that would have almost seemed to be the stair step up to then Goldfinger because it has elements in it that are like Goldfinger. It has fantastical elements a man with metal hands that cr- can crush things yes yes nuclear reactors stopping spaceships from or stopping rockets from launching uh, a tank that with flamethrower stuff in it and everything and the ken adams sets yeah uh from russia with love is a very it's a tight character sto- story in a lot of ways yeah you're right it, as far as the the kind of size of the story from yeah. Russia with Love is a smaller story than Doctor No. That is true. Yeah, it's um, from Russia with Love. I, I'm going to say this, and you're going to be like, if I could reach through the Skype wires and throttle Mark Maddox, I would. <laughs> from Russia with Love, I loved James Bond. I mean, I saw Thunderball at the age of about five or six, and I was like, this is so big, I couldn't even understand what contemplate what I was seeing. I knew it was amazing. And then uh, I think I saw my next set of Bond films like maybe four or five five years later. You Only Live Twice on Friday night. They played Thunderball on Saturday night, and they played From Russia with Love on Sunday night. And my parents told me, you can go see two of them. So I went and saw the first two nights. But I did not see From Russia with Love. I picked that one. Somehow the name didn't do it for me. Well... It came on TV within like a year after that. ABC brought James Bond to television, and it was a massive ratings winner. They played one every so many months, and it was like an event. From Russia with Love was the only James Bond film I ever turned off the TV set when I was watching it. How old were you? I was, I'm going to make a rough guess and say somewhere between like 11 and 12 years old, maybe 10, 10 to 12, something like that. Well, see, I can understand that because From Rush With Love is a smaller story and it doesn't have, you know, it to doesn't me, have the, the, if what you're looking for is, you know, spectacle, well, it's not your movie. I wasn't involved enough with James Bond even at that point, although what I remember I was amazed by. Uh, I remember watching it and going on board and I turned it off. Now, having said that, I think 
a few years later, I saw it again and liked it a lot more. And then it started to grow as my favorite or what I called the best James Bond movie. And what that meant was if we're going to do a movie about a guy who spies, this is the best one. And that went on for about some this I've had this like up and down relationship with From Russia with Love. At that time it was like, yes, I do prefer watching all the other ones. And I do like this one. But I feel like this one is the spy story. Let's get to I mean, it's a little closer to John Le Carre. It's a little closer to Spy yeah. Who Came In from the Cold. Definitely. And all that kind of stuff. But in around nineteen like the late late uh, 70s, early 80s, I found myself once again diving down in and not liking it. I remember watching it and 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 going, God, this is just so, you know, boring. And then turning it off again. So for years, it's been this weird thing of I didn't care for it as much. And then uh, last year, I watched it again and I'm like, Okay, now I've done a complete 180 again because I'm tired of the crazy not not the James Bond films themselves, but all the other kinds of movies, all the action pictures that we get nowadays, all the CGI, all the crazy set pieces, which are totally stolen from James Bond. You got movies with The Rock, and you got movies with Bruce Willis, and you got you know in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, you've got all these movies that are basically children of James Bond films, where you've got set pieces that finally lead up to this colossal set piece at the end. And But now I'm watching From Russia with Love last year, and I'm like, okay, now I've done another 180, and now I'm back to this because I prefer... Uh, a, a lot of the, the kind of movies like I, I really liked uh, some of the Jack Ryan films because of the uh, analysis and everything that goes on in there and I preferred the Jean Le Carré uh, uh, Spy Who Came In from the Gulf showed that to my children about uh, four or five months ago and they were like yeah that was pretty good uh, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy it was like okay from Russia with Love so it's like weird now and I just watched it again today before we did this podcast and I'm like Okay, I'm enamored with it again. So go figure. You know, I don't I don't know what to say about it. there's so many great things about this film that don't have the comic booky aspect of a lot of other Bond films. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and and does it make it the best film? Absolutely not. It's not nearly my my favorite, but is it really in some ways does it hold up better than a lot of those films? Yeah, in some ways it does. I mean, there's things about it that hold up real well. Well, there the the thing about another another way to look at the series and as, as a kind of uh, as a kind of through line is the tone that each film takes, and of course you build the tone of a film around the type of story that you're telling. Mm-hmm. And as as much as we might like to 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 joke around, to be serious, there are a number of different tones taken by the Bond films, different degree. You know, there are different degrees of seriousness within the series. Uh, from film to film, and it just kind of depends on the circumstances at the time the film was made. Mm-hmm. But as far as tone, I find the tone of From Russia with Love to be very similar to the tone of the recent Casino Royale film from 2006, where everything is being played straight. There are funny things that happen. There are, you know, there are amusing things that happen, but they're not at the expense of the film they uh, they come out of the circumstances they are they're they're the humor that's built out of the characters 
who find something amusing within the story or within the, the, the circumstances they find themselves in. Why, why I like From Russia With Love so much, well, and the reason I like Dr. No so much, is that by trying really hard to stay close to the novel, in effect, they're smart enough to know that that's how you retain the things that brought you to the idea of adapting the damn thing in the first place. As part of one of those uh, those commentary tracks from the Criterion set, I noticed it was it was it was amazing to hear Terrence Young talk about how uh, by the time uh, you know they they were working on getting the first one done, uh, they they were they were still in pre production and they had four different scripts for the for Doctor No, mm-hmm. and he looked them over and he wasn't happy with any of them, and uh, he and he he said this and I'm not sure if he was joking or if he was being serious. He said at a certain point the script that they were thinking of using. The, the script writer had turned Dr. No into uh, an ape, a monkey. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, 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 I heard something about that. Yeah, and so he just sat down and went, no, 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 no. So he, and he, he went back closer and closer and closer to the novel. And so if, you, if you've ever read Ian Fleming's novel, Dr. Dr. No, I do recommend it because, one, it's, it's a good read, and second, it, it, gives you a, a, it gives you a really good idea of how you can adapt a novel to film and it's because there are a lot of smart choices they made there's a lot of things did first of all the the film retains dr no retains the plot the locations and the characters and there and and it really does retain the flavor of fleming's book right uh but there are a few additions and deletions that they made that kind of push the story into more cinematic areas which is of course what you have to do uh, the changes made were were mostly cosmetic. Okay, so like the uh, mind resource of Crab Key, uh-huh. Doctor No's hideout, right. was uh, was guano, not bauxite. Like, in other words, it was bird shit. Yeah, which is historically accurate. That was, in other words, it was one of the uh, it was one of the uh, you know dozens of islands that mined that stuff as a resource for fertilizer. That was a big big business. Right. And the, and the uh, it was a it was a deadly caterpillar that's native to Jamaica that was used to try to kill Bond, not a tarantula. But of course, it's a movie, so it's a spider. Yeah, right? watching a watching a caterpillar crawl on somebody isn't going to do it. Although it was on a piece of glass that was about so goddamn obvious, it wasn't even funny. It's like as bad as <laughs> yes. that bad as that cobra in in Raiders of the Lost Ark, where you can see its reflection. Exactly. Um, well, well, another thing, it's like, and some of these are just kind of unnecessary, but I mean, they, they kind of work within the context of the film. Like, okay, the character of Quarrel, the 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 black uh, the black actor, uh, the yeah. black character Quarrel was actually an old cohort of Bonds that they had worked together before, right. and Bond specifically requested the guy for the mission. He wasn't somebody that he met in Jamaica. Well, he it was made somebody it more exciting. He, it made it more yeah. sort of like, okay, the guy's there, he's talking, he's avoiding him, he pulls a switchblade on him, there's a fight, and then it turns out that he's a good guy, blah, 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 that right. kind of thing. An- another thing is okay. this movie introduces Spectre, right. which uh, did not come along until the, the novel... Uh, the novel Thunderball. So uh, this is this. They changed that in, in the book. Doctor No wasn't a member of Spectre, but he was a uh, he just a maniac out to dominate the world for himself. 
And uh, also, by the way, in the novel, there's no messing around with radioactive power. That's that's something they added in so that they could have the kind of ending they wanted. Well, but also so, too, you got to realize uh, Bond. Uh, those were written, uh, you know, five, six, seven, eight years earlier. Some of them, and and you've got um, uh, you know John, uh, James Bond's car in that film <clears throat> is not all these little neat sports cars and stuff like that. It's this yeah. older looking, big, big honking thing that Granddad would have driven. But it's, um, uh, you know, that that is where movies go. You know what? We're making a film. We're not we're not copying a book. And I have to say, I do not believe. I'm not saying that it, it necessarily would have been bad to have 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 just you know followed the Ian Fleming books closer. But we would be living in a different universe if it weren't for them having started it, used it as a launching point, and then yeah. made these colossal things that are different. And they are they are different, and they are also good. I would like to see the Bond films all done out, like I said, as books. Uh, the books, you know. But I also feel like the films were such colossal entertainment. I envy, although I was there in the 60s, I saw Thunderball. Like I said, it was 66 or 67 when I saw it. Well, well, hold on. Before we get too far away from this, I don't want to forget this. There's a, I, I like your idea of uh, someone somewhere adapting the novels as they are on the page. But I have to be honest with you, if you go back to those novels, specifically in Dr. No, okay? Right. If you, if you, if you keep it as, a, as Guano... Uh, that you do that because you keep the original novel's death of Doctor No, which was uh, James Bond dumps a huge pile of bird shit onto Doctor No that kills him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Believe me. Let me let me go ahead and 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 let and let your jaw drop now instead of when you read the novel. Thanks for telling me that. I haven't read the book yet. <laughs> well, no, no, no. But but better than that. Also in the novel of Doctor No, James Bond uh, has a battle to the death with a giant squid. Yeah. What are you gonna do? You're gonna tell me the. You're gonna tell me the whole. In- Why don't you let's go on to the next book? How does the next? Guy well, it's just, no, you, you can see. You can see immediately why that would get chopped out. One, we ain't got the money, and two, how 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 does that further our story okay. overall? Well, so you know? so he does his Frankenstein conquers the world, Japanese edition. Well, yeah, but remember they were filming this. They were filming a lot of this shit on location yeah. in Jamaica, and that's where most of the budget went in the first place. Although I will say this, a million bucks was still a hell of a lot of money back then okay. for a movie. I mean, you look at other films. Well, I'll tell you this. The woman let, – let, let's go to this film. Let's start talking about it. There are certain things that we got to kind of – I think we're going to run off and then later go, damn it, we needed to talk about this. The movie starts off, and it's got this neat dots and this like this this thing. Uh, the, the guy comes up the – the uh, iris of the of the gun is is pointed at him. Uh, the visual thing for the guy to target him. The man spins around, shoots him, and the blood rolls down. And it's this it's the classic James Bond thing that we saw seen for decades. I, I think Daniel Craig and them got rid of it, which I think pisses me off. I don't think they got rid of it. I thought they did. I thought they got rid of that whole walk on and then the rifle and then pow and then the blood runs no, down. No, as I as I remember it, and I may be wrong about this, they didn't do it at the beginning of C- of Casino Royale. They did it at the end. 
but they did it at, yeah they did it at the end that's okay i didn't mind that but i think the next three films after that they didn't do it did they I can, you know i honestly don't remember i don't think so and that that pisses me off it's like well it's a reboot well you know what fuck your reboot put the goddamn thing in there that we've lived it's a part of our dna for over half a century weenie roasts so the, the the thing starts off and then we get the original james bond theme which is the coolest meanest edgiest theme for a a, a, a rough-edged good guy I've ever heard. It sounds like, to me, the the music sounds like you took a bunch of hornets and put them in a jar and then shook the jar up and then recorded them. That guitar, <laughs> that... I'm like, God, God, who came up with that that far back? It's so badass sounding. It's, it's well, it's uh, it may be controversial, but it's it's the truth. Uh, you know, it, Monty Norman is the one who quote unquote gets credit for it, but in all honesty, it really does come from from John Barry and that uh, jazz group that he the, the 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 jazz band that he was in in the fifties. Yeah. Uh, he uh, the the as a matter of fact, the people who played on it, the guy who played that guitar plays that awesome guitar riff. Yeah. Was his guitarist in uh, I think it was called the the, the John Barry Five or something. I can't right. remember that yeah. exactly. Yeah. And uh, the guy's the guy's last name was uh, when I heard the guy's last name, the guitar player's last name is Flick. I thought, <laughs> was that a nickname? And no, it turns out that's actually his last name. <laughs> it's yeah. one of those things where it's just like, oh, I, I thought maybe that would be because of the that 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 guitar style that he has. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, nope, that's his real name. But at the same time, it's 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 wonderful and yes it's an, it's iconic there's a reason that score oh, is it's, is it's, what it is it's perfect I mean, you know i i always i always say there is no such thing as a perfect movie you've heard me say it. there's no such thing as a piece of perfect art a piece of perfect this or that all artists will tell you there's always something else to achieve but as close as you could get to perfection that that theme is amazing then it goes into the main brass and everything well it sounds like it's screeching out of a tinny brothel that, <laughs> you know i mean it's just and then it, it goes into under the mango tree which is a mistake in my opinion well it does but that the, the, these are brand new this is this is the guys doing it for the first time and all that yeah. as a matter of fact somebody said that they were talking about Somebody wanted the Mango Tree song to be the song or something like that. Exactly, that, that yeah. was supposed to be the 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 theme of the theme the, so, the theme song, and it's like, oh Ew. man, I'm so glad that somebody they didn't let said that fly. no way. So so you get in that, and you got, and it immediately goes into the Three Blind Mice song, a song that I love, and 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 the and it's got these three uh, supposedly blind black guys walking through the streets of Jamaica and all kind of stuff. Now, a couple of people get killed, but I'll tell you this. You were talking about budgetary considerations of this film. You've got this beautiful house where this woman is there working with the radio, talking to British intelligence or whatever it is. And she actually owned the house. That woman owned the house and she was she was in there. And but to me, that is one of the most I still have a problem watching that scene to this day. I still Yes, it bothers me so much that this woman is there. She's just working on the radio. She she's waiting for this guy to show up, who we have seen earlier just got killed, and and then and his body was picked up and driven off. But she is there, and all of a sudden, there's three guys at three different windows. The window crashes, and the guy just plugs her. And this is sort of like that whole, you know, Sergio Leone was the first guy to ever show somebody being shot in. You know, on a in a separate frame or whatever, like, like yeah, in the, the same, same frame. frame. Yeah. No, you see that woman get shot, 
and it and it always really gets to me because this isn't one of these spaghetti westerns where Clint standing there and shoots a guy and the guy spins completely out of control as he's killed. That guy deserved to die. This woman's standing there and she just gets shot and falls like I'm like, oh, it always is very painful. It's like the opening of Jaws where the swimmer gets killed. I always have the hardest time watching. It's a great scene, but I have a hard time watching it. And uh, that was a way of a budget thing with this film. It's her house. You know, she looks like she can do the job of playing this character, and they and they let her do it. It's great. You bring in this guy. You know, you bring in this new guy whose eyebrows are too thick. Uh, at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Connery, and he's there doing. You know, my name is Bond, James Bond. You know, and and he's he's sort of a little bit. He's still he's got that gorilla like they they took a gorilla to charm school sort of look he's he's, <laughs> he's he's still but man he is he is like whoever did the job on on taking sean connery and and making him into this like almost perfect man did a fantastic job he moves like a cat i've heard that well, said yeah, about the, him the the I, i've always i've always well, for years the the joke was that uh he moves like a sex panther yeah, well, I mean, I've met more than one of the women that worked on Bond films, and they don't even they don't even bat an eye. At least the ones I've met, and they're like, yeah, 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 I, I, I slept with him. I mean, that was their <laughs> attitude. It's like I slept with him, and I'm not ashamed of it. I loved it, and he was a nice guy, and we slept together, and I wanted to, and he wanted to, and we did, and that I heard that more than once. In my oh, I'm, not, yeah, I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. Well, but yeah, but still, just the way that 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 I've heard women say it, it's sort of like, wow, really? It's just like it's just it is what it is, and I'm and I'm 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 I, I had a great time, and and it's like wow. But they really took a guy that was really 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 tough and sent him to charm school or something. Well, because. that's just it. And remember, he was a he was a bodybuilder, and uh, you know, a, a, li- a little bit of a, a little bit of a rough around the edges kind of guy. I mean, that's why he was in such physical shape. Is he was a he was a very athletic bodybuilding guy. Yeah. And, uh, the, but but the, he wasn't. But he wasn't that earlier Sean Connery, the one that you saw in Tarzan's Greatest Adventures or Hell Drivers, a super classic. If anybody ever gets a chance to see it, uh, and and some of these other earlier films, Darby O'Gill and Little People, which he was very good in. Yeah. He wasn't elegant. He, no, he it no. wasn't like you took the Incredible Hulk and mixed him with Cary Grant. I mean, you've got Sean Connery, who is like a vicious Cary Grant. He he looks like he'd shoot his own mother. He's got that dark look about his face. He can be funny. He can be charming. He can be sexy, but he's got absolutely no gumption to be a killer or to threaten or to or and 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 in threaten in ways that in the early '60s was considered what the bad guys did. You know, uh, well, that's that, the thing. I mean, and you know this already is that what, what we end up seeing by the time we get to from Russia with love, especially mm-hmm. at, on screen embodied in Connery is a combination of Ian Fleming's character on the page. Terrence Young, the director of both films, mm-hmm. his sensibilities about how to mold a man to be that, you know, that that that. Uh, that classically uh, debonair kind of person. And, quite honestly, the humor of Sean Connery. A lot of that got built out of Connery's own sense of humor and just ability to handle 
uh, all the physicality of this stuff in a way that made it look natural. Yeah. It doesn't feel like someone is. Uh, it doesn't feel like someone's learning on the job. It feels like this is something they've been doing for years. I'm already going to throw my cards on the table and say that easily Sean Connery is the greatest James Bond. I mean, well, see, I, that's the thing. And Terrence, Terrence Young agrees with you, but at the same time, he also says, but then again, it's not a fair fight. Well, because he was the first. And well, so no, I, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with the first. I, I look at the other guys and I go, they're all talented. I, I like them all. I watch all yeah. of their films. Yeah. But when it looks, when you sit there and start to mathematically break it down, okay, good looks. All right, they're all good looking. Good looks, but look like they could be really good in the fight. Well, we could possibly get rid of Pierce Brosnan, and we can possibly get rid of Roger Moore through about two-thirds of his movies. Even even in the early ones, he was he was thinner. He didn't have the weight that Connery had. He certainly didn't have the aggressiveness, although... I still like the Roger, the early Roger Moore ones, uh, 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 and I, I and I watch them. I watch all of these films, so it isn't like. But you look at Sean Connery; he's got the muscles, he's got the viciousness, he's got the the darkness, he's got the the humor, he's got literally everything that all the other Bonds have got. Like portions of those, like numerically, like he's okay. That guy's got three aspects of it. That guy's got four. Yeah. But Sean Connery's got all five, and it's like no. Well, I mean, he's the one. He well, he's not the only one. There, there. Are, I'll be honest. There have been three of the actors who play Bond that I really do feel, not in every scene, but most of the time, come off giving me the feeling that they are that 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 description of Bond as a blunt instrument. Okay, uh, and it, that would be Craig Connery. And when given the opportunity in the two films he did, uh, I, I do think that Dalton was able to pull it off in a few, in, in several sequences. All right, but, every, I, all, I, but I, the I agree but the other you. actors, uh, as much as I love a lot of those films, and I do, I do really sure. enjoy a lot of those films. Yeah, it's a different character. He's not so much the blunt instrument. Yeah, I would say that uh, Roger Moore. Uh, some people pick on this film, but I actually like it. Uh, Man with the Golden Gun. When he's got Maud Adams and he's trying to get information out of her and she goes, ow, my arm, you're hurting me. He goes, I'll break it if you don't tell me what I want to know. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, I it's mean, the only it's the only moment in that film where it, he feels like that dangerous man, you know? Yeah, there's a there's a there's a few other moments where he pulls some crap in there, too. That's sort of like that. But here's the point. Daniel Craig. Yes, you're right. He's got all, all, everything of Sean Connery's. But once again, the math doesn't add up. He's not handsome looking like Sean Connery. Daniel Craig is not a good looking guy. My brother says he looks like freaking Alfred E. Newman. And I oh, think he's, def- he's definitely not as he's definitely not uh, as handsome as a lot of the other actors, that is for sure. But he, but, he but definitely he definitely fits the blunt instrument a lot he better fit, than he some fits of the, the blunt others. instrument. And I and I really do like the Daniel Craig James Bond films. He does a oh, great yeah. job. But I'm, I'm I'm talking about this mathematically. He does not have that handsome polished Adonis look that Connery has he's got the body because he works out but you look at Sean Connery and it's like I I, I have said this before in my travels in the last god however many years of being an adult the women that I have come across have always lost it for Sean Connery and I have never ever 
heard any of them go on and on. I've heard a few. There's a few here that might say something about uh, a George Lazenby, or there's a few that might say something about. But in the end, the women that talk about it, it's like it's Sean Connery. It's like it's Sean Connery. Oh, yeah. It's like forget it. And that's where. That's one of the things. It's like, okay, who's got the most masculine charisma? It's like Sean Connery. There's not even a. It's not even a thing. I remember uh, showing a, a, a girlfriend of mine at the time uh, the Pierce Brosnan film had just come out on. Uh, uh, it wasn't even DVD. I think it was VHS or something at the time or Laserdisc. And I showed her uh, a Golden Eye, and she walked in, looked at me, and goes, nah, "A pretty boy," and then just walked out of the room. <laughs> It's like, <laughs> it's like, no, there's no, because he ain't no Sean Connery. I'm like, yow. Okay. Yeah. Pierce. It, 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 Pierce Brosnan never, I mean, there were certain scenes in some of the movies where Pierce Brosnan felt like he was a dangerous man, but they, they were not, it was much more along the lines of the Roger Moore stuff where it was, he was Roger Moore's replacement. He wasn't, yeah. here, here's what I would do. You're making a James Bond film. Okay. It's been five James Bonds down the road, and your and your question should be, who are we going to get to replace Sean Connery? You see what I'm saying? In other words, <laughs> I'm not. Gonna, in other words, you don't go. Who are we going to get to replace Roger Moore, who was popular? I mean, they they did that. They had the Lazenby, and then they went to uh, Connery again, and then they went to Moore, and then Moore became uh our, you know one of my favorites uh, t- uh, Timothy Dalton who 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 was a very good bond in in media in less than in great media. films yeah although i do like the first one of those two a bit and it got good reviews i like i like them both but they're not they're not great bond films sadly yeah i i, I find the second one to be too something i don't know this i don't know what it is it just it doesn't feel like a bond movie but Maybe it's a couple of things. If it's the cinematography and the soundtrack by the guy who did Die Hard, it feels too much like a Die Hard movie or something. But yeah, you yeah, got, and that that is sadly uh, pretty much what the Broccoli's were going for at that time. So. Yeah, but Dalton really could have been. I mean, I wish he could have been so, so man. much yeah. that he had hung on until they did Golden Eye. But he got. I don't blame him. It was like five years. There was like a five year difference or something. And he's yeah. like, look, I got to move on. So he was he was the big guy. He's like, I'm 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 head now i'm gonna go on but i would have loved to have seen him in golden because golden eye is a is a damn near a great james bond movie i mean yeah, i think it's a, it's, it's a damn good script it's and, a good idea and pierce brosnan got the kudos from it so he got one or two good bond films and then his last two yeah. were like Ugh. uh but actually uh, i did not like the one immediately after golden eye and i liked uh, i liked um the one michael apted directed i like uh the world is not enough See, oh. I yeah, I didn't like I I you and I I will reverse that, but you know we'll talk about that some 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 year. But yeah, Pierce Brosnan's last one, Jesus Christ! Oh, that one. Halfway was... through that thing, it falls off a cliff, and it's just it's like watching it's like watching uh, broken propeller blades just fling themselves around a fan casing. It's silly, awful, silly. It was silly, and I don't even mean like in some of the corny ways. I mean when you're looking back and going, you know what? Maybe Octopussy isn't all that bad. I, I mean, like I like I like Octopussy, especially I, looking I back octopus-y. at it. I hate Octopussy. I hate. I, I like it, I'm... and from Russia with love. I mean, I'm sorry. Sorry, uh, for your eyes only. I think for your eyes only is uh, phenomenal. Uh, yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, we've already done our our Roger Moore episode. I think I was <laughs> wasted, and I think I told you what I thought of you. But the thing is, if you—that's all right. I don't like your opinion any more than I like you. No, no. It's look. That's a lie. When the episode ends, you're going to go in. You're going to burn the incense in front of my picture, and you're going to go um, <laughs> um. I pray to this man. So. You've got 
I, I do I, I do wish Dalton had been had been there for Goldeneye. Yeah. I think that Goldeneye yeah. was a damn good film. I think Pierce Brosnan did as good of a job as he could for a Roger Moore replacement. Yeah. But 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 there was things. I'm going to say this is going to sound corny. He needed to put on 20 pounds. He needed to bulk up and yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, bulk up. I, I agree. He needed to be be more and uh, and I felt bad for him. I think I, I really like him as a as like a person. I think he's great. I think those f- first two, you and I switch it. You said the third one was better, and I okay, yeah, that's yeah. fine. But at least we're in agreement that those, at least those first three were anywhere from good to acceptable. When the fourth one just was not <laughs> was horrific. Yes, my kids are watching it. Madonna does this the worst piece of music she's ever done in her life, uh-huh. and. The song is going, and she goes. It's it's terrible. It's terrible. And my kids are like, "Is the sound going out on the on the thing?" I said, "No, it's just Madonna being weird." And it's like it's it's it's, Madonna losing the plot musically, which she did sometime in the. I'm gonna I'm gonna peg it around 1998. Yeah. I all I'm saying is is that she she uh, that song was horrible. The movie starts off somewhat interesting. He gets involved in this problem and blah blah blah, and he's like, whoa, now they're going to think. Let's let's back up. Let's back up. Let's back up. We're talking about Doctor No One from Rush with Love. I know it, but let me get this out because uh, we're never going to talk about this film on your show. I, and it, in maybe. the end, in the end, <laughs> dude. What is it we going to call it? What is it, what, what's the logo going to be for the big bucket of shit with like fumes coming off of it? <laughs> I mean, Rodney and Mark present bucket oh shit. We, we, can, we, can do an, we can do an episode where we both pick the shittiest Bond film and we debate which one, why this one's shittier than the other. I think I think what we need to do, I, I can't even do that. That's almost even blaspheming because then it's almost like, oh, those guys hate James Bond. We should like pick like films we really hate and just tear into it like we did with independence day so <laughs> so um anyway but but yeah the movie gets crazy and the first third i'm like okay this is this is pretty good yeah, watch yeah. it watched it a second time i'm like okay this first third okay this is this is this is all right this is all right maybe i'm maybe i just wasn't in a good mood the first time I saw, and then that last two thirds especially that last third you're like oh my god Somebody give me a samurai sword. I'm just going to commit seppuku right now. Just cut my head off. Just kill me. It's such so, an ignominious end to that actor in the role, too. It's just like, oh, and man. he got a phone call. And he got a phone call telling him he was fired. That's what Pierce Brosnan said. He really? never talked to anybody face to face. He got a phone call from him saying it's over. This last one didn't work out, and and we're wow. going to we're going to go on to something else. Yeah, I felt bad for him too because I think Pierce Brosnan is a nice man. He deserved better than that. So that that's that is a shame. Richard Maybaum, born in New York in 1909, is the writer responsible for transforming Fleming's prose into screenplays that allow men like Young, Connery, Adam, and Hunt endless possibilities for invention in pictures like Doctor No. He spoke a bit about his own involvement in the series for the past 28 years and the transformation of Dr. No from the printed page to the big screen. Richard Maybaum, screenwriter, producer, sometime golfer, and sometime ballet dancer, which is what I've felt like very often in juggling the various graceful and ungraceful actions that are included in uh, the Bond films. 
I met Cubby Broccoli first when I was recommended to him by Alan Ladd to come over to England with him and make three pictures in England. Then when Mr. Broccoli and Mr. Saltzman got together on the Bond pictures, I went to work for them jointly. Cubby had given me several of the Bond novels to read in 1958, I believe. He liked them and I liked them very much. But at that time... We thought perhaps that they were too violent and too sexy uh, because of the codes and stuff like that. So we thought that if you're not going to do them right, let's not do them. But then, you see, the business went kaplunk, and in order to get the customers back, they loosened everything up, and Cubby made this deal with Harry Saltzman, who had a deal with Mr. Fleming, and Cubby told Saltzman about me, and... Saltzman says, okay, and so I went over to England and started work on Thunderball, which was to be our first film. There were later became some lawsuits about Thunderball and the rights to them, there having been a previous screenplay written. So it was put aside, and that's why we started with Dr. No, and I'm very glad that we did because it was a smaller picture and you didn't have to have been exposed to the bronze for any long period of time to identify with them. Dr. No is an interesting film in that it's more of a kind of a, of a mystery story, unlike From Russia With Love and Goldfinger. As a matter of fact, all three first pictures had not solidified yet into the form that we eventually ended up with. And uh, we all knew that Dr. No was uh, an interesting and colorful work, but none of us really thought that it was going to be the surprise hit that it later became, for which we are very grateful, of course. I particularly liked Sean in Dr. No because... He had all of the attributes that Sean Connery has become famous for, you know, the machismo and the athleticism. But he also at that time had a mischievous modesty. He hadn't assumed that great posture of the great world hero yet, which he filled so well later on. Also, Dr. No had that wonderful girl in it, uh, Ursula Andress. Sean's treatment of her, far from being the roughneck that he later proved to be with a lot of the other female stars, he was very tender and gentle toward her. There weren't many instances of that toward the various uh, ladies that he played, young ladies that he played opposite in the films to come. Sean, of all the Bonds, I feel has to be categorized as the best it's not really a fair competition because he got in first and so everybody's image would have been touched by that would have been affected by that so we're talking about the fact it, with with dr no the the million dollar budget and i don't want to just harp on that but um there's things in this movie that are for it's it's the beginning of a new movie series it's still got a little bit of that 50s vibe to it it's still got a little bit of that the cars look older um the photography uh, you know they don't have the, mo- the, the the quite the money that they'll they'll get to 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 smooth out the rough edges they've got yeah. music in the background that sounds kind of piped in probably due to sound limitations at the time there's a couple of pieces of music in there and they even replace some of them in thunderball that i'm kind of like really it sounds like it came off of an am radio uh <laughs> i'm actually kind of a fan of the jamaican music in the film i've, I've had the album for decades yeah yeah um, it's good stuff. It, it 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 works um but you've got this movie that starts off very much as just a general thriller 
with a few moments in it that I think are a little extra violent. Like I said, the lady being shot, uh, who's working on the radio and all that kind of stuff. And uh, this guy that get it, gets introduced and he like a guy tries to kill him. Uh, it doesn't work. So, or tries to get into a fight with him and then it doesn't work. And he, and he, and he takes a, what do you call it? A cigarette with cyanide in it or something and bites it and bites down on it or something. There's that, that yeah. kind of stuff. But even at that point I'm watching this, this still looks like it came almost out of the fifties rather than the sixties. We don't have that tipping point somewhere a little bit further into it, all of a sudden things start to look bigger. You've got a guy that just shoots a guy mercilessly, not mercilessly. Not that the guy just, well, it's cold-blooded murder. It's cold-blooded murder, but the guy just tried to kill him. He has a license to kill, which means he has a license to judge, to be judge, jury and executioner. And that guy deserved it. I wanted him dead. I would have shot him. But, but at the time, that was a real big shock, and the critics were turned off to that. They're like, what the hell? I mean, you can't have a guy just, like, plug somebody. You've got to take them down to the police station and all that stuff. Well, And do, and do you know the controversy around uh, the censors with that scene where he kills that character? What is it? Okay, if you watch the film, uh, he shoots him twice. He shoots him once, he goes down, yeah. and when he's laying on the floor, he shoots him a second time, and the body twitches. Yeah. Yeah, well, originally... He shot him like four or five times. Yeah. And the censors went batshit and they just, they, they had to take it down and the most they could get away with was two. That's interesting because, you know, I'm going to say this and I know it can't be possible. For some reason, I always remember him shooting him multiple times. I watched it again, you know, and I'd seen it a couple of times in the last few years, but I watched it again a few days ago and it was like, oh, he only shot him twice. I remember him shooting him like a bunch, but that could just be my mind. Nowadays... You know, how many movies have we seen? They do crazy crap and, and silly crap <laughs> in movies nowadays where it's like, ah, you shoot him once. Or are you going to shoot him once? No, shoot him 47 times, you know. So maybe that's yeah, just. Yeah, it's, it's the uh, empty a clip into the, into the corpse kind of mentality. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, there's things in this film where it's slowly. And by the time you get to, to the island, we now are introduced to uh, you got Bond and you got Quarrel going to the island to investigate, uh, you know, what's going on on Doctor No's Island, and you come across the uh, uh, or you come across Ursula Andress playing Honey Rider. You're you're already seeing something where I don't know. I mean, you know, Marilyn Monroe, very sexy and stuff like that. Raquel Welch really hadn't come out yet, but this no, that was later in the sixties. This was yeah. later, but this woman was just different uh something about her was very very different uh she was um very overtly sexual but she was also very it was an athletic form of sexuality it wasn't just necessarily she i mean when you look at her she could run she could move she was uh she was lean she had her stomach was very flat Something about her. She was. She was a. She was a goddess. Well, she, she was, was a goddess, but she was yeah. a different kind. I, I. I don't think. I think there was things about her that that were different uh, from the usual, usual type of the. She wasn't. She wasn't a Jane Mansfield or a Marilyn Monroe, although she was as beautiful as they were. She uh, was. Um, it was just different. The, the the you know, and seeing a woman in a bikini in in that day and age looking like that must have you know warmed up the theater pretty damn quick. 
but um and she's she's got a rough edge to her too you know some guy had obviously raped her when she was young and she put a a, a spider in his bed to kill him and yeah. uh and and you know there was some things like about i think in the book they did do the thing about the encyclopedia that she wasn't educated formally but that she had started with the encyclopedias with her dad when she was a kid and she was all the way up to the letter t uh-huh. Do you rem- I think that was in the yeah, book. Yeah, it's, it's definitely in the in the film, yeah. But in the book, too, I think, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, And then you get the fact, now, there have been some things said in, you know, in a uh, talking about a little bit of racism in the uh, in the film, is that Quarrel is basically treated like, uh, you know, somebody to go fetch things. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that is that is one of the more kind of cringy things from 21st century perspective is the moment when he he actually uses the word fetch, telling Quarrel to go fetch his shoes. Yeah, the only thing I could say about it is if you're talking about it being racist or not being racist is if the guys that Quarrel works with go, he's your boss now, do what he says. You know what I mean? Like the way a commander in a military would say, go do this. They don't say please and they don't say thank you. That's the only thing. But we, we never really got that. So it comes across as just him you know, telling this guy what to do. <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, uh, that I, you know, I'm not going to try to defend it, but that could have been the attitude of the people making the film at the time and it just comes across wrong. Um, I like the character. I like Coral. Um, yeah. I, I feel terrible. I mean, the, he, he was all, he didn't want to go to that Island in the first place cause there was dragons and he ends up getting burned up by what he thinks is a dragon. And we realize, and he realizes at the end, it's like a tank with a flamethrower. Uh, but he gets burned up and I feel terrible for the guys like, damn, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's the worst. It's the, I should say it's the most hideous death in the film. No, I, I think it's almost tied with the with the woman at the beginning. And the murders in this movie are rough. I don't know, man. Being burned alive. Well, come on. Well, yes, the actual when you think about how he died, but visually on screen, the way you see it, you see a, a, a silhouette of a guy behind a bush, and it's like a thing, and you know, you see the flame hit it. I'm talking about the actual visual presentation is almost even Steven between those two. But yeah, of course it's worse to get burned alive. You, you know, you, 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 but you see what I'm saying. I mean, the visual, well, I, I see what you're saying. I'm just, I'm just saying that the one that, that sticks in my mind is definitely quarrels death. Well, it's, so. it's, it's bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrible. And then this is where the movie shows its budget because they grab bikini girl and, and Mr. Mr. Handsome and grab them, take them back to the lair of Dr. No. And apparently there's radiation all over the place and they're having to get washed down. And there's, here comes all the Ken Adams sets and the uh, ladies that are there to help and assist them in any way that they can. And, you know, you go from the Jamaican, the beauty of Jamaica, then you go to this Ken Adam heaven you know, uh, (laughs) which I actually bought a house one time in, in Thomasville, Georgia's 3000 square foot house. And all I wanted to do is like, I'm going to, I'm going to finish off this house to finish. It's going to look like a Ken Adams set when I'm done. Cause I had a living room that was large enough to be a small skating rink. That's how large the living room was. And I'm like, you know, I'll have the top will open up and it'll go fly up in the air and grab, grab satellites and shit like that. But, um, but, uh, this movie really puts most of that million dollar budget, at least in my opinion, on the back half. Oh well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that set that set is uh, 
that set's impressive. But well, not just that, but the entire kind, the entire uh, I guess you call it layer of you know yeah, the whole crab thing. Tea. I mean that that giant uh, the giant uh, fish tank. Uh, yeah, Doctor yeah. which is just which is just brilliant back projection. It's just it's amazing. It's such a simple effect, right? But the but the room is not necessarily that big. You've got the room with the fish tank part, and then you've got the dining area up above it. And it's like uh-huh. this is amazing looking. I mean, and then you've got their uh, their their quarters. You've got the hallways, and then you've got the actual master room where James Bond was sent on the mission, which which is funny because we never really talked about it because it's kind of a MacGuffin, is that um, uh, American uh, spaceships are having problems with their gyroscopes because something's interfering with it. Well, it turns out that it's Dr. No. And Bond, at near the end of the film, infiltrates the, uh, the, uh, the, the main room, the main control room where they're trying to mess with uh, the United States rocket ships lifting off at the time. And yeah. um, and Doctor No and him get into a fight. Now the thing about Doctor No, this is where we get into some si- not technically the rocket stuff it might not be considered science fiction. Maybe messing with the gyroscope might be. But the thing that's science fictiony in it is Doctor No's hands that he lost in some kind of accident. Wasn't it involving radiation? I think. I yeah, I think remember. that I think that that's what he says. Yeah. So he's got these super metal hands. That, that that can crush stuff and everything and and uh, it's played by Joseph Wiseman uh, who does a really good job he's understated he doesn't he doesn't overplay it uh, I love the dialogue that they gave him in the film I think his back yeah. and forth with Bond is really good there is a scary moment where they have brought him in the room with Ursula Andress or whatever and they decide to take her away and then he says to Bond uh, the guards will amuse themselves with her which is a horrifying statement and and it's what and it's what causes Bond to kind of lose his cool for the first time in the entire sequence too yeah and he does and and uh, and even hide a knife because in his in his uh, uh, you know sleeve thinking he's going to use it in a minute and Dr. No's too smart for that. The the thing about Dr. No is it is a truly great start to this entire series. I mean, it's it's a great spy thriller. It's it's got strong direction and all the performances are well, not all the performances, but the the performances of all the uh, actual actors in the movie are strong. There are two there are two uh first of all uh the the owner of the, uh, the little bar where Quarrel he first meets Quarrel sure yeah I remember. Uh, is the was the was the was not an actor he's the guy who actually owned that bar oh, and cool he, he you may notice he's not very good but that's you know I, I thought he scene. was fine I thought he was fine I mean he for, was fine enough to get, he was fine enough to get by yeah and then uh, but the, the funny thing is that later on when they go to the, when the okay in the scene where uh, Connery uh, well we're Bond and, and Quarrel and Felix Leiter are all sitting there uh, at this at this uh, in this uh, nightclub or or whatever you want to call well, it's it. The when, same you know, bar. There's, there's, it's the bar of the guy. Well, the, the the music the music's going on behind yeah. there. Fellow who who owns that bar. Uh, it's during this section of of the uh, that commentary that if you listen to Terrence Young says something else that probably got him into a little bit of trouble with the people who wanted to yank that track. What was it? Because he's well, he says that uh, he was pretty. He says I'm pretty sure that that the the guy who owned and ran that bar, yeah. who, who you can see walking around and talking to people in that sequence, he says I'm pretty sure, and he intimates that he probably was involved in illegal stuff. <laughs> like like what? 
Oh, he doesn't get into detail. It's just that uh, from what you know, his, his memories are that that was definitely what everybody knew about this guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's like, oh, so he's like, you know, and it, and he he relate. Uh, Terrence Young relates it to uh, some of the stuff that he had to deal with while making the Valachi papers years later, which was uh, actually having people on the set and in the film who were actually in the mafia. Oh, so, okay. God, I didn't realize that he directed the Valachi papers. Man, it's been a long time since I've seen that film. I'm going to watch that again. Joseph Wiseman's in it, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Terrence Young had a tendency to, well, like a lot of directors, is like when he finds a good actor that he can count on, Yeah. if he can imagine them in the role, he tries them out, and if they're good, he'll use them again and again. But the thing is, this I mean, Dr. No is the film that made Sean Connery both a star and a household name, so re- regardless of how much, I think, he, I think he's better in the role in the next film because he's more relaxed into it. Yeah. But uh, it's easy. To, it's easy to see why. I mean, he's he's really self assured here. I mean, he he, he moves and carries himself with a, a sense of suave style, and at the same time, coiled energy that that kind of can burst out at any time. It well, just, he they, crackles, man. He's great. They had also they had also altered him a bit. He, like I said, I'm not yeah. making a joke. They really did trim his eyebrows. I know that's going to sound like a minimal thing. In the first film, he is a little bit. He is still a little bit of the beast left but <laughs> but but the movie is it's fine his personality in that first film because the first film is a comic book the second film is a spy story and i feel like the two guys fit in the two different worlds and like you said he had already played them once they got a little more sophisticated they had some meetings okay what are we going to do how's yeah how do we, ref- how do we refine this thing we're going to yeah. refine them and they had refined him they had refined the actor. They had refined the way that he was on the screen. And uh, and it was, what, another year or two later. I mean, a lot happens in a couple of years. When I'm yeah. watching From Russia With Love, I see basically between that and Goldfinger, I see the most polished James Bond that we ever had. I mean, it never got better. There was no – the other ones later, I love you know Thunderball. I love – his interpretation of James Bond then too, even, but these are the ones that probably are the pinnacle for any person to have played the character in the Eon productions. Cause he really is. I mean, it's, it's everything it's about, it's talking about, Hey, you ordered the, the white wine with the steak or something like that, you know, or the, I can't yeah. remember, you know, it's, 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 it's anything from that, to uh, to er- everything works for this man, whether it's a fight, whether it's you know talking to a woman. Well, that's and- that's the thing. Connery in the role is always believable, and for this type of movie, man, that's half the battle. Sure, that means you, that means you're there. That means that we're already halfway to believing pretty much any situation you put him in. Right now, I will say this: one of the things about this movie. Is and I, I I'm not belittling this film, but if this film, if the other uh, the other James Bond films were at this level, I do not believe the series, the movie series, would be as famous as it is. I, I oh no, it it had to ramp up. It ramped up, but this still is this. I like I said, I put this more in league, not quite as straight a spy story as a Le Carre, but maybe more in line with like a Jack Ryan. 
uh, not that he's necessarily a spy, but he's an analyst. But you know what I'm saying. That's sort of like, okay, there really is investigation going on in here. There is skullduggery. Who do you trust? There's all that kind of thing. And this movie's got that in spades, really in spades, too, when it comes to, uh, like, Robert Shaw and, and, yeah. and stuff. But this movie really does feel... Uh, uh, other than maybe one or two micro elements that make it a little, little, um, uh, I don't want to use the word comic booky again, but like the Anita Ekberg mouth is the part where the guy happens to crawl out of, or the, the, you know what's funny is that straight out of the novel, man. Well, that's, that's fine. And, and it was, it was just, it was just a different movie poster. Yeah. Well, it would be because that was Call Me Buana, which I think was had come out just at the time. Yeah. But you've got that. And it was it, in the book. It was uh, Marilyn Monroe's mouth. <laughs> yeah, and that and that makes sense. Um, I even thought about it again when I watched it today. I said, I bet you, if if, if that is in the book, it's a different. It's the scenario is slightly different. We're we're doing this in sixty two, sixty three, but you've got um, and and a few other little moment moments that are more like the super spy thing, like Rosa Klebb with the knife sticking out of her shoe. It's like, why don't don't you just go up and stick them with a knife instead of having it come in? But it's cool, you know? Um, And, uh, and it gives something for Robert Conrad to rip off like three or four years later. But uh, (laughs) you've got, um, you've got a very straightforward story um, with these guys that are, you know, basically using the fact that they're, they're, they're pretending that they're, they're Russians, but they're not. They're part of Spectre, and that they want to get this this lector, and they want to smear the reputation of James Bond and, and all this other kind of stuff. Well, that's that's what really that's kind of the the biggest thing. I I love I love this film. It's serious and it's clever. It's and it's it never descends to the cartoonish levels of a lot of the other films, of course. But it's it. it it's strangely enough that the whole idea of Spectre pitting rival nations against each other is not taken from the book. In the novel, it's the Russian spy agency Smirsch that puts this plot in motion. Uh, but I really kind of, I have to admit, I kind of prefer, once they've introduced Spectre in the previous film, I kind of like keeping that through line because it complicates things, but it doesn't make things so complex that you can't follow it. Yeah. Uh, it's... it's uh, there's there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of cool to this because the you know you've got the the, the leader of Spectre who whose face we never see, uh, you've got Rosa Klebb who is uh, is is a nasty piece of work, you've got uh, the, oh the the name of the character the the chess player who actually whose plan whose entire plan this is yeah uh, I love that actor Spectre. yeah he was on he's TV fantastic shows. yeah he was like on TV shows like UFO and. He was yeah. in some Ken Russell movies and stuff like that. I like he's, that guy. He's, 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 fan, he's fantastic. I love the, the complexity of this, but what's beautiful about this is that, and this is one of my favorite things, if you can do this in a movie, especially a spy movie, yeah. is that what we're watching are smart people fighting each other in a smart and logical way. And that is the best part of a well-written spy thriller, man. Yeah. If if If... It, the film does this very well. If I'm watching something and I'm realizing that these people are super competent and super intelligent, they're not idiots. These are not people who are just bumbling through something. Yeah. It's it's one of my one of my favorite moments. One of those first one of the, well, it's not it's 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 a moment in the film that demonstrates perfectly visually how smart Robert Shaw's character is 
when he's dealing with Bond. And it's this moment when he's kind of teetering on the edge of believing Bond about these uh, about this money that he can get him. Oh, right, right, yeah. He's... He's smart enough. He's smart enough to know because he, he cuts his eyes. He says, "There's, you know, there's just as, you know, there's another set of these 50, in the 50 other case. Gold, Fifty gold sovereigns, I think, is what in, it was in yeah. the other case, right? And he does the natural thing, which Bond is smart enough to expect him to do, which is to immediately cut his eyes in that direction. But the character is smart, and he doesn't let his eyes go all the way over and looks right back at him. Yeah. And then it's it's amazing." Without ever taking his eyes or the gun off of Bond, he reaches up and grabs the case and pulls it down, never taking his eyes off of him. And it's it's a moment like that where, it compl- without a single word being said, it's like, if you need a demonstration of how cannily intelligent this man is, there it is. It demonstrates it without a single thing being laid in front of you other than just how carefully he handles the moment. Well... The thing is, is that earlier in the film, and this is um, this is when we finally get to see uh, uh, Q Desmond Llewellyn in this film, yeah. who doesn't do any comedy with Bond. It's it, we haven't gotten to that part of like, oh, 007, bring it back in yeah. one piece, you, la, 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 you know. You a, but the first guy in the first film is pretty cool too. He's, I mean, the British guys with their voices is like, this is a wolf of PPK, you know, and I'm just like, they talk like that. You know, like, <laughs> well, you know the story about that guy, right? No, what about him? Well, they, they they wanted him to come back. They wanted to have him come back and do you know and do the thing again. You know, play the same part. Right. But he got uh, he got he he got the offer to go and do uh, another film. Uh, it was a juicier role. It was a bigger role. Right. And so he took that. And it's like Terrence Young was like, well, yeah, of course, you're, if you're an actor, that's sure. that's yeah. smart. That's yeah. what you do. Yeah. He said, but then he went off to do it, and the the production fell apart. And so he picked the wrong movie because the one that he picked didn't actually get made. Well, and Desmond Llewellyn yeah. is it will always be known as Q. Yeah. From now on, I mean, he's beloved of the James Bond series. So you've got you've got him. You've got Q showing him at the beginning the fact that if you don't open up the briefcase right with the money and the gun and the knife sticking out of the side and all that kind of stuff, if you don't, right. you're, it's going to blow up in your face. You know, So you turn the latches, and then on the exterior, you t- turn them in an unusual way, and then you push them in, and then this briefcase opens, and you don't get tear gas in your face. I love the way Robert Shaw, by the way, in this film, who is a – who is a specter scumbag, uh, blonde hair, very different looking from Quint in Jaws. Yes. Uh, it's just 13 years later. He'd be, he were 12 years later. He'd be Quint in Jaws. Yeah. But he was basically, uh, the, um, he was the, basically the antithesis. He was the other side of the, of the, uh, of, of James Bond. He was the, the, if James Bond is the good guy, this is the bad guy version of James Bond. Very much uh, so, yeah. He does a superb job in this movie as somebody to one, be hated and two, to be feared because he is a fearful. He's killed a lot of people in this film. We watch him uh, taking people out. We don't see it on camera, but him killing people left and right to uh, maneuver and manipulate the situation and, and operatives and friends that are uh, yeah. bonds. But when it finally comes down to the fact that we uh, finally, uh, that bond realizes that this guy isn't an agent sent to help him, but in fact, a specter agent, the the the, the 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 brilliance of the scene with the two briefcases is that Bond says, I'll, I want a cigarette, which 
nowadays it's hard to believe that would be the last thing anybody would say. But back then, I could damn sure believe it. And they almost need, oh, of course. They, well, but back then you almost need like a one of them little information bubbles on movies to pop up in the film. Back then, <laughs> back then people really had a nicotine addiction. So yeah, it know, was very very common. very 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 yes. common. And he goes, I'd like a cigarette, and he goes, I'll pay for it. And then he opens up the case and gives Robert Shaw the money, and then and then he and he said, talks about giving him some more. I can't remember why he talked about giving him uh, some more money or whatever it is. And he, and he goes, is there any more? And he goes, I'll I'll see. And he very sort of gingerly. See, see that's it. Yeah, but the beauty of this, and this is something that I never thought about consciously until just the other night rewatching. Yeah. This, whether he whether Bond is allowed to open the case or not. That's what I'm saying. Bond Bond is playing the perfect the perfect game here. Oh yeah, he is. He's he's saying to the guy, but when he acts different. I want the cigarette. Here's the case. It's opened up. Here's the money. What about the second case? I don't know. I'll see. And he moves real quick. like, yeah. And then that's when Robert Shaw basically falls into Bond's trap. He doesn't flip the latches. He throws them up in the air. He gets the tear gas in his face. And we get one of the greatest – up to that point, this might be the greatest physical fistfight between two men in a film ever. It's in, it's incredible, man. To this day, to this day, it's, it's still an amazing. Incredible fist but, fight. But back then, back then, it was amazing. I mean, and, and our artistry. You've got two guys in a very, very confined space, which Bond films would do later, uh, uh, multiple times, especially in the great uh, scene in uh, Diamonds Are Forever in the elevator. That fight scene's great too. But this was the beginning of well, that. Well, the, uh, the that the stairway fight in uh, Casino Royale is something that it reminds oh, yeah, me of yeah, these yeah, days. Yeah, 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 that was great too yeah i love david niven when he was fighting in that scene but uh that was a joke i know what you're talking about no but the uh but this this fight is beautiful and some of it i even use in like um in my positive thinking and stuff like that when life is throwing everything at you you take your arms up in the air, you make them in a prayer mode like Sean Connery, and you block Robert Shaw's punches. Remember when he does that? <laughs> he brings both of his arms up to stop him from hitting him real well, from getting yeah, good contact. Yeah. This fight is a joy to behold. You even have little bits of artistry, like they show him fighting, and there's a piece of broken glass, and for like a microsecond, you see the fight in the broken glass. Uh, mm-hmm. There's kicking, there's kicking in the face, there's punching there's going in for and there's one of them falls on top of the unconscious girlfriend who's been drugged uh and uh, it's two very very tough guys in a in a real fight and those actors because of who they are really sell this i mean robert shaw you always think of him as being kind of a tough guy you think of sean connery as being a tough guy and here you've got these two going at it and it's it's brilliant, and there's a garroting cord or a garroting cord inside the watch, a garroting wire that Robert Shaw had used earlier in the film. Well, and it's and it's the perfect callback. The movie has already set us up. Remember, this movie starts off with one of the great fakeouts of the the series. Yeah. Because this is only the second movie in the in the in the series, but it has its first pre-credit sequence, and in it, you see. This this character played by Robert Shaw, who we have no we have no concept of who he is yet. We see him stalk and murder James Bond. Yeah. Who of course turns out to not actually be James Bond. Yeah. But it's uh, as soon as uh, we've been introduced to that uh, that Garrett uh, Gar- the the Garrett inside the the wire inside the uh, 
the watch. Yeah. Uh, there's never any doubt in our mind once this fight starts. That, that has got to play into this eventually. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's scary for me, even when I watch the fight and I've seen it so many times, is that when it looks like Robert Shaw's finally going to use it, uh-huh. when he finally grabs it and starts to really wrap it around around Bond and Bond gets the upper hand and, and, get, and, and kills him. There's a whole bunch about this movie being my age now where I am tired, not of the Bond films because I was there with them, but these modern action films where you go to the Cineplex and the movie you're going to go see is an action picture, but but there are seven trailers before that movie starts, and five of them are super action pictures or something. Like, we're just inundated with it. And people don't remember a time yeah. when a lot of movies weren't action pictures, and when James Bond came on the screen or the preview for a Bond film, you're like, oh, here we go. Well, yeah, there was a time when films of this of this type were rare. They were rare, and that's why that's what people will never get. I I wish we didn't have so many action pictures nowadays. I mean, and and now with insane action, people doing stuff defying gravity. You know they're on ropes yeah. and in green screens are now the new thing on the Mandalorian where they're using a LED bubble where the people actually react to the special effects that are happening to them and stuff now. But with Bond films, you went and you plunked down your, for me at the time, it was 25 cents to see the Bond movies. Uh, wow. Wow, wow. Yeah. Um, and, and plunked down. Now, I think like in New York, it was like a whole dollar back in the 60s you were going to be entertained you knew that you that they were gonna they were gonna go look these people you know come from their little suburban houses or whatever we are going to show them something tonight that they cannot see we're gonna throw the money at them you know whether it's a colossal boat chase or a you know volcano with you know guys sliding but with from russia with love you get you get the orient express you get istanbul you get and and you get a serious, you know, version of Russian spies and spies going around in Istanbul and and this uh, the guy the guy that Bond is friends with. I like that character. He he died. He was dying during the production. I forget it. Oh, you mean uh, the actor who plays? Um, oh God, the, the actor who is the uh, the head of the uh, the agency in um, in yeah. Istanbul. Fantastic actor. Did a great who, job. Uh, who worked with, uh, yeah, he, good Lord, he worked with so many people, especially J- uh, John Ford. John Ford is the guy who recommended him for the yeah. role. He is, you know, sadly, he's one of the actors who got cancer from working on The uh, the Conqueror, that damned cursed uh, film that they made out okay. there after. Yeah, he... Yeah, yeah. Sadly, well, he was true, dying. Yeah, he had uh, he had cancer. He he, yeah, yeah. He he was terminally ill with cancer during the making of From Russia with Love, and and uh, uh, Terrence Young talks very openly about the fact that uh, when they, when he got there, they knew he was not well, and they so they shot all of his stuff yeah. as quickly as they could, and then and then let him go. And I have to admit that it was it was sad to learn he di- he died four months before the film came out, and I have to say it's the one of the things they probably were not happy that Terrence Young and the others were talking about on those commentary tracks, he was in so much pain that uh, he was taking morphine to get through the shooting. Yeah. And uh, it turns out that uh, he ended up, you know, in the hospital the last, you know, the last few weeks of his life, and he ended up taking his own life. He ended, he committed suicide. How did he, rather how did than, he commit suicide? What did he do? He took. 
Well, this is what Terrence Young says, and I I found it to just be an incredible shock. He uh, he somehow got a shotgun into his room and blew his own head off. See, now I never, I, I I guess I never listened to those original commentaries. I'm sorry to hear that. I will say this. Let's let's go back. To- oh, I'm sorry. He didn't he didn't blow his head off. He shot himself in the chest. Yeah, but it was he was in he was in the hospital. But, That's amazing yeah, that he could do that. Bad. I will say this. You watch that film, you have no idea what's going on in that man's life in in, no, in his real he's life. So good in the role. Yeah, he's very very good. And and uh, there's the scene where he takes uh, Bond to his uh, friends that are gypsies. Yep. You've got one of the guys, the big husky head of the gypsies guys, who was uh, in the uh, Hammer Hammer Hound of the Baskervilles. He played the uh, the solicitor, the lawyer for for uh, Christopher oh. Lee, big husky yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. And we have uh, one of the when well, then there's a cat fight between two girls who were uh, in love with a married man. One of those women actually came up to me, wrapped her arms around me, and said, "Are you the artist Mark Maddox of great talent and all that stuff?" And I, my face. You're talking about Mark. You're talking Martin about Martin, Martin, yeah, my, yeah, my my face looked like a thermometer going up, like you know, like a red. But she was very sweet because she had seen some of my artwork I had done of her from uh, a pen and ink I had done of her uh, from. Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde and uh, somebody showed it to her and she's like oh my god I gotta meet this guy so these two guys like played a gag on me where they pulled up in the van and she was in it and she jumped out and they were filming her coming up and wrapping her arms around me and it's like was I upset? No I wasn't but (laughs) of course not because she's actually in my favorite Bond film Thunderball as well Uh, so uh, but I mean in this in this movie there's this cat fight between these two girls gypsy women they must fight you know in order to prove uh, who gets to be with the man which didn't make any sense anyway because I think he was married but um, (laughs) but it was it was cool and there is um, apparently there's like bulgars or whatever who having problems with these with these gypsies or whatever, and it's turned into a real issue. So there's a big fight. This is the guy that ends up getting shot. The leader ends up getting shot, climbing out of Anita Ekberg's mouth on the side of this building that's got a poster for "Call Me Buana" on it. And yep. and um, there's a lot of neat stuff in this too. I think one of the things about great films like Vertigo. And like this one and others is if they shot outside on location, you are also getting an absolute pleasure of a time capsule as to the way things looked at a certain time. When, yes. when you watch this film, you get to see uh, it, uh, Istanbul, Turkey, not in the look that you got in later, like in Midnight Express, another film I love, but you get this, it's basically cleaner and, and a little more friendly for sure. But I find it to be fascinating to watch it, especially in high definition. You, um, it, it's, it's great. Now I will say this with my little beady observant eyes, there's like three or four times in the movie, Robert Shaw's there spying on bond, driving down the road and he following behind bond, uh, bonds car takes a corner. There was a red VW in all of those scenes, a red VW bus. It, oh, really? Yeah, and I'm kind of like, uh, maybe you should have picked a, a gray or a green or something because, <laughs> you know, it's like the you know it's like when you watch the movie Bullet. How many times do you see that VW? You know what I mean? 
Do you not yeah, watch it? You yeah. see that? I mean, that, that that happens a lot when you're when you're staging things of this night of that nature. That's true. Yeah. Well, they're yeah. staging it because they've got these cars. They've got the certain amount of cars, and so they're using them to control things. But man, that VW uh, Beetle and Bullet is like my my son's like. Dad, what the hell's going on? <laughs> it's a, it's a time loop, son. Don't worry about it. But but, um, but I love it's it's pr- it's proof that you're in the matrix, man. Well, I mean, I love I love seeing uh, the, these scenes in this movie. I love seeing this, uh, you know, travel log. and and Bond would always be that, you know, in Japan and and uh, you know all these different places that they go to in all these different films. And that's interesting too that it was that starts right in the first film where we go to Jamaica. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, uh, you know, there's some of them that take place in the United States, but there's a lot. Of and them. honestly, there and honestly, those are some of the ones that I find the dullest visually. Yeah, me you too. Know? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't completely feel it. it. Depends on who's doing what and what scenes. There's some of them that are sort of like you know you roll your eyes as to the people that they've got playing Americans. It's a, it's a little bit. In some of them, it's a little bit of a failing. Not all of them, but some of them you're kind of like, oh man, these stereotypical Americans that are like you know, worse than any American I've ever seen. But, um, (laughs) some, some of the films have done it well, but this movie is a a sincere plot. And another thing too, they're using something that bond films normally didn't do, which was to smear the reputation of somebody. Our hero is going to have his reputation smeared, which, well, no, no, no. Remember, uh, they're not just doing that. That's, that's the tie in with the first film and from Russia with love. They're specifically they're specifically, they are going to kill bond, right? They're going to kill him, but they're also, uh, dealing with this, the, the the Russian woman and falling in love and the lector and and, and yeah. they've got all this footage of them in the bridal suite they're taking uh, right. basically eight millimeter film of it which I wish I owned but uh, they <laughs> they've got this but man your your love of Connery is off the charts no, no it's, actually I want to see uh, Daniela Bianchi but oh, okay, she's okay. she's pretty i mean she's she's nice i, oh, she's I like her i think she's a gorgeous woman she's um she's one of those more conservative uh uh bond girls there's not a lot of bikini action in this one she's more just beautiful well she is naked well i mean naked is a relative term I mean, seen we know, she, know naked we see her from behind through the gauze yeah that's true um some women in bond films are anywhere from you know uh you know, so, somewhat revealing to straight out, you know, but uh, in this case, she was a little more conservative throughout the film. I, I, I think she's good. I liked her. Um, I, I think that um, she's being used and abused. I mean, you've got Rosa Klebb uh, and you've yeah. got, uh, like I said, the dude from UFO who have come up with this plot and our 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 young russian girl does not realize that rosa kleb is no longer involved with uh the russian military or whatever russian spies or whatever she is now part of specter nobody's announced it because they're embarrassed about it and so this girl is following along in whatever you know she's telling uh this girl's following along with whatever rosa kleb tells her to do so she's kind of being I mean, through the whole movie she's being used um 
there's a scene where uh, uh, is it Kareem Bay? Am I saying saying our the guy guy that passed away? Uh, was that the guy? yeah yeah uh, Kareem Bay? Kareem. He's played by the actor uh, Pedro Armaderas. Yeah. Yeah, and he's the he's the one who unfortunately had cancer. Yeah, and she, um, the, his character gets killed along with uh, a Russian guy that was chasing after her. And what does Bond do? He leaves their their cabin, goes back into on the train, goes back into their compartment, and just starts smacking her around. I mean, it's like, man. I mean, I don't know. I think. You- oh yeah, because now he's now he's he's like we've been playing this game, where because I mean he when it when the idea is introduced to him that there's this, you know, this Russian woman who works with this encryption device who's fallen in love with a picture of you and she'll give us the encryption device if you will come and pick it up and and take her to to England is like this. They, they, they talk about it right at the beginning. This is ridiculous. So he's just been going along with this, playing what he considers to be a game to get this thing. And, you know, they, they flat out say it. It's like, you know, if there's a chance to get the, the lecture machine, we're going to do it. And it's at that point where, okay, fuck this. My friend is dead now. Yeah. Yeah. And we've, 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 in other words, we've crossed a line. Yeah. We've crossed a line that I am not willing to accept. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's harsh. But it's it's supposed to be harsh at that point. Yeah, and I yeah. I don't I don't I mean I don't think of it in the terms of like wow a guy smacking a girl around. I mean I, I you know there's a possibility if I walked in out of a, uh, watching a friend of mine dead on the floor, and that you knew the girl was somehow tied in, maybe I would have gone in and done that. People, could, if there's any listeners that are going, oh my god, watch watch <laughs> the goddamn film, look at the scenario. If you don't agree with me, yeah. well then go take a leap. I'm not, you know, this well, is a, this is a rough And the thing moment. is, it's it's the moment it's the moment in the film where Bond really loses his cool. He's angry. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing is, is that she really is in love with him, and that's the weird. It's an unusual scene because of that, because he genuinely isn't hitting her because he's a mean guy. He's hitting her because he's furious and he believes that she has something. That she has something to do. She with has something this, yeah. to do with it. But at the same time, it's like she really does love him. So he's like, yeah, okay. It's an it's an unusual scene that completely works. It, it you can't you can't yeah. you can't yeah. tell it to people and have it make sense. You've got to see it. Um, you get to the uh, the whole business of Grant Red uh, Red Grant played by Shaw. We talked about the big fight. He was the right. one that in fact killed uh, Bond's friend and the and the Russian agent that was chasing uh, the girl. Uh, and when that comes out, it's that it's what makes that fight even more brutal, because the it's not just this it's not just that Bond is fighting for his life. He it, that anger is there again, and he's had to suppress it. Yeah, through that whole the whole scene where he's trying to find a way to get the upper hand. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's just it's, it's just, really good acting on both their parts. It, in that it really is. And when at first you know you're irritated because we know he just killed somebody. Uh, Robert Shaw had just killed somebody to get the briefcase and the hat to pretend to be the guy that Bond was supposed to rendezvous with. And he keeps on calling him yeah. old man, which is irritating. Bond's a little suspicious, but he starts to li- lighten up a little bit. Uh, but when Grant is there and. I, I, I like the, the moments where he's like, Bond has been hit in the head and is unconscious, but Grant grabs his gun and puts the gun up to his temple the whole time he's checking him for papers 
frisking him and all that kind of stuff. And then Bond starts to slightly come, come, become awake, and he and he smacks his hands with the gun. It's like just totally. Yeah, the whole time he's frisking. You him are now. in my control. You are. I own you. And then he even has the nerve to say, you know what? I'm not going to. It's going to be multiple bullets that are going to go into you. And then I'll finally kill you when you call over here and kiss my foot. And I'm like, yeah, you scumbag. You really hate Robert Shaw in this movie. You really want to watch him die. Yeah. And, um, you know, he dies by garroting. So that's pretty good. It's interesting to me too, you, you know. After that, they, 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 they after he dies, they're they're going to try to uh, you know continue on their journey to get the lector out and get them both out. And there's a sequence with a, a kind of a little reminiscent of North by Northwest with Bond being chased by a helicopter. Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, I also think it's pretty clear that they sequenced the film. So just in case they were unhappy with the way that whole thing with the helicopter came about, came off, yeah. they could take it out of the movie. Oh, really? Uh, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. Pay, if you pay attention to, uh, you know, because they, 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 get, uh, they get off the train, they wait for the train to leave, then they, uh, you know, they meet the, the guy who's supposed to be the contact for Shaw. Yeah. Uh, Bond takes care of him and they take, the, take his truck and drive off. Yeah. They get to a point and then we have the helicopter sequence take place right and then it's over and then they drive up to where the the boat is so you, you could have take, left it out you could you could have left that whole chunk out of the film yeah well i'll say this i'm glad that they didn't because it's a oh, little, i'm not advocating for leaving it out no I'm no just I, I, I that they were hedging were. their bets. I, I didn't think you were what i'm saying is is that is that it does help to make it a little bit more of a james bond entertainment package to have that scene in there and you've got this helicopter now what i like about this and it is a little different from north by northwest you know he's running and he's being chased by the by the plane with the guns but it never gets as close this helicopter gets really i mean the angle that they they, they've set the camera up and then the where the helicopter is swooping down near the stuntman and the stuntman lands on the ground multiple times is pretty Mm -hmm. damned impressive I mean, it, it looks like they're trying to hit him with the underside of the helicopter and kill him. And they do that a few times uh, and until finally uh, – and they're dropping grenades on him and stuff until Bond gets his little rifle built and then shoots the guy with the, with the grenade and it goes inside the helicopter and blows it up crashes on the ground. Uh, one thing about this, I mean, I know what, – what, what country is that supposed to take place in that helicopter sequence? Where are we by the time we get to that? I'm not sure. Because uh, roughly, I, they're on the Orient Express, although they don't make a big deal out of it. Um, we know they're traveling through different countries, but the thing is, it's strange to me because it almost looks like uh, it looks like the Highlands, almost of Scotland, maybe. But maybe you know that could be just wrong <laughs> <laughs> that yeah no that's not that's not where that is oh it just occurred to me that uh yeah they they are on the uh the orient express and then you, you know just a, just about 10 years later uh, connery would be on the the feature film version of murder on the orient express no 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 he was on uh, was he in more yes, yes yeah he was. yeah yeah he yes, was he played uh darn uh, he played colonel he played a guy colonel. yeah 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 on murder on the orient express colonel mustard he played colonel mustard Colonel Mustard. he made he made it the same year he made uh zardoz one of my favorite films yeah <laughs> what uh oh i'm just i, I i'm I looking bought, at this just, list of I films bought, and realizing that in the 70s i thought i'd seen all the 70s films there's actually two that i have not seen what are they uh the terrorists 
Oh, I saw that one. And uh, the next man. What the heck is that? Oh yeah, yeah, that I one I that remember one. very well. It's got him. It's got if, if you. Got to watch it. There's a scene with uh, Sean Connery very sadly watching King Kong. <laughs> really? No, I'm not joking. Yeah, there's a scene, and there and it, and it it's apropos for the movie plot. That's weird. Okay. And got uh, um, um, what's his face who played uh, Largo, Adolfo Celli's in it too, because well, they were friends. Well, here's a good question. Um, it's the passing of Sean Connery that has us, you know, deciding to to look back at these movies again and 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 talk about how impressive his his abilities were within the structure of the Bond series. But what uh, what are what 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 would you think of as your favorite one or two non-Bond films that Connery made? Um, first off, you know, one of the reasons that I was talking with Rodney about doing this show, and I've got, I've got to bring this up if he decides to edit it out, that's fine. (laughs) But one of the reasons that I, I was talking with Rodney about this is because we've had such a rough year. This is a, this is a rough year. 2020, uh, we've lost friends. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, we've, um, uh, there's been a pandemic, there's been political strife, all this stuff. And in the middle of it, just about my most beloved actor, not may, if not the most within the top couple, two or three, that I grew up with ever since I was a little boy, had died. I mean, I knew that the day that he died, I was going to be upset. This, this year has been so bad, I haven't even had a chance to mourn that. And it's like, okay, he's an actor. He wasn't a friend of yours. Yeah, you're right. But still, it was part of my life. And because of that... I had to do this show with you to try to to try to at least find some place to go talk about this because the, this world is so crazy right now. There's not even an opportunity to get sad about it, you know. Like we, we like I said, like I talked to you about it last week. We had a chance to get sad that David Bowie passed away. Yeah, we, but things we, we are so were able great. to think about it and process it. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a big deal in the news. It was on CNN and all the other news services, but it kind of came and went. And I'm kind of like. If it had been a normal year, uh, this would have been on going on for weeks. So I'm kind of mourning on this show. Uh, and because of that, when, when you're asking me about favorite, Jesus, that's a tough question. Um, I can throw out really fast names of ones that I absolutely love. The Hill. Okay, yeah. Um, the man who would be king, most assuredly, on my list for sure. Uh, and I'm going to miss some. I, I I don't have them all in front of me, so I'm just kind of winging it. The Untouchables. Yeah, yeah. The hunt, the hunt for Red October. Certainly. Um, and then there's just other ones that I love, just because I love them. Um, just other other little ones that I I love. Uh, some of them not famous. Some of them not well reviewed. Of course, the super famous, uh, incredible, greatest film in the history of mankind, Hell Drivers, which he's in. <laughs> well, I, I, he's I in will, just for a little bit. Uh, I will add um, some of my favorites. Uh, I, I am ahead. a huge fan of the Great Train Robbery. Uh, yeah, a lot of. I think yeah, he and yeah, Donald Sutherland was... are amazing in that film. Uh, yeah. I absolutely, completely, and totally love. <laughs> Outland, even though it is just high noon in space, I think it's wonderful. 
That's I, I I I will say this. I don't think it's a great movie, but I've seen it like thirty times. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't is, think it's a great movie, either, but mean? it is. It's immensely rewatchable. I love and it's rewatchable well, because what? of him. It's Peter Hyams. It's got it's got it's got a, a Jerry Goldsmith soundtrack. It's got Sean Connery. Think it over. And Francis Sternhagen, you know, I mean, who's amazing. And Francis Sternhagen. It's great that the lead female in the film is not a sexy love interest. It's this woman, just this. Plain uh, older woman who's got a smart mouth, but you really like her She's like amazing. almost immediately. Yeah, I like the fact that they went against type. There wasn't going to be some some you know. Yeah, yeah I love you, Sean. Kind of, they didn't do that in this one. It was like now we're going to go completely against it. Uh, um, yeah. Also, also um, a huge fan of the name of the rose, and I think he's phenomenal in yep. it. Oh, Robin and Marion. Robin and Marion is hands with, down. With, it's which, depressing as hell. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It has a downbeat ending, but it is a great film. And one that I'll mention, uh, you know, I, I joke around. I do love Zardoz, but one that I'll mention that uh, I don't I don't think it's as good as The Man Who Would Be King, but I think The Wind and the Lion is worth people's attention. A lot of people, you know what? I've never seen it. And oh. I'm, I, I've, I've heard over the last few years, a lot of, a lot of people love it. Plus it's got a Jerry Goldsmith score. Yeah. There's, there's other films. I'm not remembering them all. I'm just going to tell you that right now. There's some of them. Uh, I, I finally bought last, uh, well, about two years ago, I bought a copy of Richard Lester's Cuba. Oh, good film. And yeah. I, and I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. Yeah. That's for Ted Haycraft, who who's a Richard Lester fanatic. But I found it to be really good. What about his great, although it wasn't through the whole film, I love the movie Time Bandits. Oh, and he's, he's excellent in it. He's wonderful oh, in that. Story, it's like at the, the end. The story Michael Palin tells about uh, how, how they got him in the film. Do you know that story? I don't think so. When they were writing the script, in the script, they described uh, the character as the you know a, uh, the the closest cheapest equivalent of Sean Connery, yeah. <laughs> and then somehow or another this got back to Connery and he asked to see the script. He read it and he says, "Hey, I'm willing to do this." And, and of course, you know they were like Palin and Terry Jones were like, "Oh, well, this is great." <laughs> well, you you heard that um, you heard about the whole William Shatner uh, Sean Connery th- thing, didn't you? No, no, what's the deal? Uh, William Shatner, of course, directed after Leonard Nimoy had the success directing two Star Trek films. They gave it over to Shatner, who was now irritated, and he did the horrendous Star Trek V, right? Yes, sadly. Sadly, it's bad. Out of all those Star Trek films with the original cast, that's the only one that I just like, eh, I can't watch it. Yeah, I, I can't either. But it was, I forget the name of the actor who played Spock's brother. He was in a... a, a yeah, he's a, a good actor, but I can't remember his name. He, right he's now. a good actor, but he's just a, he's a regular, he was a television actor. He was in a, um, he was in a, an interesting show when I was a little kid called the Delphi Bureau about a guy with a photographic memory who could, you know, solve problems that way. Anyway, he plays Cybok. Well, no, he doesn't play Cybot. He was originally, but the but the name of the character was I don't was I don't know if it's in the film or not, but it was really supposed to be Shakari. Okay, Shakari. That's pretty on the nose for Sean Connery. Yes, you're damn right it is. Bloody hell. So, so was, what was the deal? Got, Were they trying to? They wanted Sean Connery originally, and he turned it down. Is that why they named the character that, or they named the character know. that trying to get him to do it? I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg, but I had heard before they wanted Sean Connery to, to, to play it. Now, that's what I heard. I heard that almost <laughs> around the time the film originally came out. If somebody says that that isn't true, you know, and backs me up against a wall with their finger in my face going, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Well, then I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But that's what I heard all those years ago is that the Shakari was, uh, you know, they originally – Shatner went to Sean Connery and said, "Will you play this character?" And he said, "Yeah, nah, well, nah, I don't. I'm not interested in that." Which was one of Sean Connery's smarter moves in his career. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you get into the '90s, there's not a lot of really good movies there. Sad to say. So. No, I mean, I. He was in a weird area. There was movies that he were doing that was doing okay, but they weren't. Like The Hill is a great movie. I don't remember what I don't know what kind of the numbers were for you know uh, return on. There was um, oh I know another one. What was the one where uh, him and Dustin Hoffman and and uh, 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 yeah he and Dustin Hoffman and and Matthew Broderick are supposed to be related. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean that's that's the silly part, but it still works in terms of the act. Oh. Oh my God! I almost forgot uh, one of his great films, *The Offense*. Which I'll be honest, that's one of the ones I've still not seen because it's just not easy to see. Uh, okay. I, I need gotta, to find it. I, I mean, I gotta go. I gotta leave. I'm I'm so <laughs> mad at you right now. You oh, haven't seen that poor film yet. Mark, poor Mark. He's mad at me. No, no. I. You know how you <laughs> you take that in. And you go. Good. I can feel your <laughs> anger. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of enjoying it. It's true. Yeah, yeah, I figured you would. Now yeah, I'm, I, and the thing is, but, it's one of those movies I've wanted to see for years because I'm a huge Sidney Lumet fan. I think that Lumet, uh, I don't think Lumet ever made a bad film. I think he made films that were less good than others. That's how good I think Lumet as a director was. Well, so you did like the family business one or whatever with Dustin Hoffman and Matthew Broderick. Oh, there's a there's the meat of a good there's a good script in there, uh, but the the casting works against it and to be honest that that movie i only saw that movie once but i can remember this to this day it has a shitty score uh, i don't even remember the score. it's been a long time since i've seen it i liked it though i thought it was good i always thought lumet you know did oh uh, that was a delivered i mean think about uh, it man serpico dog day afternoon network uh, yeah oh network oh my god what a great film um which is funny because now it's almost that's almost like quaint in comparison to real life. Yeah, but I mean, think uh, about it. Lumet and and Connery worked together on like five movies, man. The Hill. Yeah, he liked him. Yeah, The Hill, The Anderson Tapes. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Anderson Tapes. I don't think I've seen all the way through. Something. something Interesting different. film, worth seeing. Uh, I think it may be the first screen appearance for Christopher Walken too. Yep, it was that I do remember hearing. Um, so we we've got a guy that had multiple lives. I mean, the James Bond thing, um, like Roger Moore. Roger Moore really didn't have much of a career after James Bond outside of James. I mean, he had a few things like the Wild Geese and and uh, you know the Naked Face and some of these other films. But Sean Connery really did have a colossal life after James Bond, and it yeah. started off kind of slow and built up. I mean, there was bad movies like Wrong Is Right. Remember that one? Yeah, I remember it. I remember thinking that it was not very good, but somehow enjoyable because of him. Yeah, me too. It was weird seeing, oddly enough for me, seeing uh, Sean Connery and Robert Conrad together. That yeah, was unusual yeah, to me. And, unusual. Then, and, here, and here's a super classic, Meteor. <laughs> 
where for like half the movie we get to look at the back of Bo Brunden's neck as he's looking at video of <laughs> missiles moving around in space. What a snooze fest. Yeah, that is where oh, that is where I when I was watching that movie I said Martin Landau will never be hired for anything good again. If you watch, watch his watch his scene where he's yelling about leaving the command center and then think that just within those next few years he'll be he'll be doing his greatest works. I know I know the the, the change between 70s Martin Landau and 80s Martin Landau is like yeah. somebody flipped a switch. It's weird. I think it's sort of like what with Hamp happened with Anthony Hopkins. He said that he was very abrasive and abusive and stuff. And then around the time of Silence of the Lambs, he says, I got to let this go. And I think that maybe there was some of that with Martin Landau. I think there was still well, especially a with some of the especially with some of the stories I've heard from um, uh, uh, Sylvia Anderson about the production of Space uh, Space nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, sounds yeah. like uh, yeah, sounds like Martin Landau and Barbara Bain were not the easiest people to be around. Well, I got the impression too that I mean during that show I think he he cheated on her and he cheated on his wife and Jerry Anderson was cheating on his wife and it was like just it was just a love fest or something <laughs> but I mean I still I still am I I love eating crow on my thoughts about Martin Landau watching Meteor and a couple and was that other one without warning and a couple of those other films where you're sort of like wow his his career like, what the hell is he doing yeah his career is, is is essentially over, and it was so not over with, like, Tucker and Crimes and Misdemeanors and then Ed yeah. Wood. Uh, I'm like, I was so happy for him. It's like, prove me wrong. I'm, I'm glad you did, you know? No, he, um, did, he did some excellent, excellent work. In his, but yeah. but Connery, Connery was sort of the same thing, too. You look at movies like Shalico and, or Which Shalaco is, yeah. or yeah, Shalak. That is not a good movie, yeah. No, it's like these different films that, that just kind of didn't work. I never – if I ever saw the Molly Maguires, I'm not sure. I don't remember what you know, that it's, was. It's not a bad film. It's not a great movie, but it, any film that yeah. has Connery – it's a period piece. Any film with Connery and Richard Harris has got something going for it, so – yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love both those guys. I I think that um, you look at stuff like that and you go, well, you know, it's the past James Bond we're going to see. But there was times like I went to see like movies with Roger Moore in them just because he was James Bond at the time. Yeah. And you kind of want him and you're like, yeah. Now there was some, he had some good ones. The, he, he, he did. Folks was, was good. And, oh, excellent movie. Yeah. And, uh, him with the speaking of Richard Harris and stuff, the wild geese, I, I like, but, but he was still kind of doing a James Bond thing. He, the other, the other two guys, uh, Burton, Richard Burton and, and Richard Harris were kind of really the, the, the leads in the film to me in comparison to him. But, well, listen, listen, listen. We're way off track. Let's just let people know that uh, Mark and I, the next time we talk about uh, films for this podcast, we'll be discussing the next. If you want to, if you want to work ahead, if you want to do the homework and get in front of us, we'll be doing the next two James Bond films that were produced, and those would be Goldfinger and Thunderball. Yes. Uh, two of the most profitable films the franchise ever had. Yeah, technically, I think Thunderball might be one of the most technically most profitable films ever. If you really look at the numbers, yeah, the, uh, it's, it's always it's it's always good to look at the uh, adjusted for inflation numbers for this this kind of thing. And yeah, well, I mean, I mean they're saying without it being adjusted, they're saying it still was a huge amount. But 
I think that I think that the reason we're kind of off track and going all over the place on this because you did throw in the grenade of let's talk about Sean Connery. After yeah, that was my films. that was my gigantic error there. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that was I'd call that um yes stupid. Yeah, let's call that stupid. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm, 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 I'm just I'm, kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have been as stupid as I, I, I usually am. <gasps> but then again, quite honestly, talking with you about movies is like hurting cats because it's a it's a it's a cat that doesn't want to be herded, trying to be herded by a cat that keeps forgetting that he's hurting a cat. In other words, I lose track of the fact that we're supposed to be on a particular track. I know it. I'm sorry. We kind of. It, there's a little bit of ebb and flow with with uh, you know, stream of consciousness with some of this stuff too. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm going to go back to blaming you for going, uh, you know, not talking about the two James Bond films and jumping. I, I, on knew, the rest I knew of his that career. you would. Don't worry. No, no, you didn't know that. I'm <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm just saying that now. Mark, is there anything uh, that you want to let the people know that you're working on that you can talk about publicly? I just finished up for Infinity Magazine a cover. Uh, illustration uh, that will also be a uh, like a two-page fold-out poster on the inside uh, of uh, from the movie Mysterious Island, the oh, Ray Harryhausen film. The the crab, uh, the, the, the crab attack. The the scene with the giant crab attacking yeah. our heroes. Uh, that will probably be out in the next next few weeks in England. I think you can pre-order it from from them. And I've just got some private commissions. I'm doing a few paintings here at the house. I've got a movie post. I can't really talk about specifics. Uh, I will say that uh, the, the work is flowing pretty good this month, and I'm very happy about that. And we'll just see. things. This is a little bit of a better month than the previous last four years we've had. <laughs> so we'll see. You know, I, I think things are looking a little bit, little bit brighter lately. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, there's the possibility for this year to end far better than it began, let's put it that way. For sure, I Mark, agree. thank you once again for coming on the show, and uh, next time we talk, it'll be more uh, Bond babble from the two of us. Cool, sounds good. Talk to you again soon, buddy. All right, you take care. Hey, I'm so glad you could make it. Welcome to my little podcast here, Bill Watches Movies. I'm Bill Mize, I'm the host and creator, and I'll be helping you today. Now, we're a podcast that's a little different from the other ones out there. We start off with a rich and aromatic blend of B-movie weirdness. Then we fold in some Hollywood history and biography. And finally, at the end, we sprinkle just a bit of old-time radio ambiance for that finishing touch. And we think that that unique combination will bring you an audio experience that you'll want to enjoy again and again. Each month, we'll serve up a story that will entertain you and bring a smile to your face. I do hope that you'll subscribe and try an episode. They're a wee bit naughty, but won't go directly to your waistline. Now, to learn even more, you can always go to our website, BillWatchesMovies.com. For show notes, blog posts, resources, and just general dorkitude. Now, I'm also on Twitter. Just search for Bill Watches Movies. I'm pretty easy to find, and I would absolutely love to hear from you. Thanks again for checking us out. Relax, enjoy the music, and then enjoy the show. Just how drunk are we going?
welcome to Good Beer, Bad Movie Night, where each month we drink finely crafted brews while watching terrible films in order to see just how drunk you have to get to enjoy them. So tune in and join Troy. Tell more crates. <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> Dave. I have the weirdest boner. And Pete. IPAs are ales, meaning they are bottom fermented. Excuse me, they are top fermented. I f- that up. <laughs> Try that again. As we drag Kathleen. Hear me. Kicking and screaming through an alcohol-fueled podcast dedicated to movies of questionable quality and the frosty adult beverages that help make them tolerable. Good beer, bad movie night. Clearly, it's the beer's fault. Well, thank you very much for listening to the show. I hope that we didn't go on too long about the first two James Bond films. Uh, Hope you enjoyed everything. Hope you're looking forward to us talking about the next couple of them because, boy, is that Mark Maddox obsessed with the James Bond films. He prattles on and on and on. But if you've got something to say either about Sean Connery, his career, the James Bond films... The Ian Fleming novels, for that sake, uh, give us a give us a a, a like, a, a a love, some information from you. The email address is thebloodypit at gmail dot com, and uh, if you want to, you can also uh, just record what you want to tell us and send it to that address as well, and we'll fold it into the show. Always love to hear from folks, and uh, hope you come back again to. Uh, partake in the next episode, which will be something completely different. I guarantee it. Actually, I can tell you right now, the next episode is a return to the Antonio Margariti stuff. So, uh, come back for that and we'll talk to you again soon. I'm Rod Barnett, and we'll see you next time. (laughs)